I moved the mic. Don't do that. <laughs> I'm sorry. From Boogie Land Media, this is On Carlson Drive, a dusty little dirt road of memories from the wit and whimsy of Wendy Bonifield. Today's episode, Bitterness Puppies. I would buy a Little Debbie Nutty Buddy for 25 cents. That was my lunch. We had just moved to St. Louis from Gary, Indiana. I was starting my freshman year of high school. This would be my eighth school. It was the biggest by far, and I was overwhelmed. Shy and not very good at making friends, I still managed to make a friend. I met her in my math class. We would eat lunch together. My little Debbie nutty buddy. Joni, my new friend, usually got a cookie. Yes, a highly nutritious lunch. When we finished eating, and it doesn't take long to eat a little Debbie nutty buddy, Joni would go out to the courtyard for a smoke. She was what we called in my day a burnout. Whether students were allowed to smoke in the courtyard or not, I'm not sure no one stopped them either way. I went with her once in a while, but I didn't like it, preferring instead to wander around the school or sit in a quiet place and do homework. After my sophomore year, I was not brokenhearted to learn that we were moving again, only across town this time, but it still meant I would have to change schools, starting my junior year at a new school. I was determined to make friends and be more involved. I would be friendly, I would talk to people and not hide in a corner somewhere. So my first day of school, as the gym teacher talked about dressing out, participation points, and how we would begin with volleyball, I boldly spoke to the girl next to me. I'm terrible at volleyball, I said. She laughed and said she was on the volleyball team. I laughed and said I would be sure to stay out of her way. Her name was Stacy, and she seemed nice. When lunchtime rolled around, I walked into the crowded lunchroom with my heart pounding, wondering where am I going to sit? Should I find an empty table and sit by myself? Should I wander the halls and avoid the lunchroom altogether? However, there in the side room, I spotted Stacy from gym class sitting at a table by herself. Could this be my salvation? So I cautiously sat down to join her. We awkwardly chatted a little. Very soon, one of her friends joined us. Her name happened to be Stacy as well. Gym class Stacy introduced me to her friend. Stacy, too, gave me a look of disgust, or at least indifference turned her back and began to talk to gym class Stacy, not even a hello. Then they both turned their backs to me and began talking away, completely ignoring me. Even as I write this, I can feel the sting of that rejection. I sat there and finished my lunch, barely holding back tears. I was embarrassed, angry, 
I spent the next two years of high school in the same school with those two Stacys. I saw them in the hall often. They were inseparable. They never even made eye contact with me in those two years. I did go on to make new friends, become involved in music and theater. It was a good few years in high school, but I still remember that rejection. I have it tucked away in my little basket of bitterness. I imagine my basket to have a few of those nasty little yippy dogs. You know those vicious little dogs that bark and yip and snarl and show their teeth like they are these great guard dogs? Each dog represents some kind of memory. Usually the puppies are quiet, and I forget all about them for a very long time. Then something will happen that will stir a memory or make me feel those same feelings of rejection that created those little dogs in the first place. And then they will start to bark or maybe only whimper. I will take that little pup out and give it a little attention, not much, but just enough to keep it alive to remember it. I have gathered them for a long time. They are as old as my childhood some from adolescent and even on into adulthood. Sometimes I think of using a garden analogy instead of a basket of puppies. My garden of bitterness. A seed of rejection is planted and tended so it grows into a plant of bitterness. A plant that is nursed and cared for, not to be locked away and forgotten about, left alone to wither and die, which is really the best thing to do with our betterness. So maybe I should change it to a garden because it is easier to kill a plant than a puppy. But I like my puppies, so never mind. I'm keeping my basket of bitterness. Oh, true confessions. Most of those puppies were placed in my basket after some kind of rejection, like the Stacy's or a betrayal of trust. Some of the behaviors that were formed by these events still influence my actions. For example, I very rarely initiate friendships, believing most people already have plenty of friends and don't really need another one. And mostly being a relatively guarded person. I still hate walking into a crowded lunchroom in search of an open seat. I can hear my sweet daughter's reaction now when I read this. Oh, mommy. Don't feel too sorry for me. Remember, this is an exercise in storytelling, and you probably have some of those same feelings, have had similar events happen to you. You only don't put them down in a story or tuck them in a basket. I know, it's kind of weird, but it works in my brain. Most of the time, the memories, or puppies, are asleep and don't make any noise, but something happens to wake them up, so they are not forgotten. Some of the puppies are more vicious than others. Some actually have a little bite, and those are the ones I need to let go of. Others just make a lot of noise and don't really cause any harm. Also, if you think about it, the more attention you give them, the bigger and stronger they will grow. One might need something stronger than a basket. I prefer to keep mine in its place, small and tucked away, only bringing it out once in a while. 
Some of the puppies are my own fault. There is this one girl who was my young adult nemesis. She did not like me and made the fact well known. It started one summer at camp. I was the program director and I did not want to be there. It was not my plan to work at camp that summer, but my dad wanted me to. They really needed me, he said. Basically, I could never tell my dad no. So I took the job and did it poorly. I did the bare bones of my job. I was in charge of the cabin counselors, but I cannot tell you one of their names. Hopefully I knew them at the time, but I don't remember them now. For the most part, I got away with doing a crap job, except for this girl who would loudly make nasty comments about me and my abilities. And our paths crossed several more times over my young adult life. Each time, she made it clear that I was not her favorite person. So, consequently, she was not my favorite person, earning her a puppy in my bitterness basket. Now, I could forgive her for being so nasty to me. We were pretty young, and I really did bring it on myself, but that would mean I would have to admit that it was partly my fault. Um, I'll just tuck it in the back. There are only four or five puppies in my basket, and I still know most of the people who were involved in the events, and I'm sure they would be very sad to hear that they had hurt me in some way, well, at least most of them, so I will not give you every detail of each puppy, only the Stacys. I don't know them anymore. I'm sure they're lovely ladies. Now, I have told you this story, and you are going to tell me that bitterness only hurts those who hold on to it. And I am going to tell you that I agree with you, but that I'm still going to keep my little basket of bitterness. Partly because I like the analogy, and really, these puppies have lost their bite. Mostly. I would like to welcome our good friend David here. Thank you for being here, David. Thank you, Wendy. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm honored by this. Oh, well, that's good. (laughs) So when Randy and I were kind of talking about what are we going to do with this episode, who will we talk to, we said, who do we know that has a reason to be bitter about something that's happened in their life and that has let it go? And, you know, the problem with people who have let go of bitterness is you generally just don't know that about them because they're happy and kind people. Yeah, there's that, but there's also some parts that I kind of hang on to for bitterness, just like your little puppies. Like a puppy, if you bring a puppy out, you play with the puppy, and that's fun for the puppy and for you, but eventually... Puppies grow into dogs, and sometimes they're big, mean dogs. Sometimes they're big, nice dogs, all variety of dogs. But they don't stay puppies for long, you know. Yeah, if you give them a lot of attention, they will come back and bite you. True, true. I know it, it may seem trivial, but I remember it. It was 
December 6th, 1969, many, many years ago, a day which will live in infamy just like its next-door neighbor, December 7th, but for a totally (laughs) different reason. Uh, It was, I was eight years old, okay, giving away my age. It's all right. I was a huge sports fan living in southern Arkansas. In Arkansas, we have one team. We have the Razorbacks. That's it. There's no other major school, no other professional franchise in any sport, much like Nebraska with their Cornhuskers. It's the only show in town. Right. And that day was a big game against the arch-rival, much-hated Texas Longhorns. It was dubbed the game of the century because it was a big deal. It was on TV, for one thing, when back when we had three television channels, (laughs) the three major networks, and if your game was televised, that was like ESPN College Game Day coming to your city because it was so big that President Nixon came to the game. It was the first time a sitting president ever attended a college football game. Wow. This was back in the day when they said a prayer over the PA system before kickoff. They called it an invocation. Okay. The invocation was given by Billy Graham. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. big stuff. This was big time. And, you know, as a sports enthusiast, eight-year-old kid, had listened to all the Razorback football games on the radio to sort of finally see them on TV. They were number one in the country. We were number two in the country. So it was quite the showdown. The Razorbacks jumped up to a 14-0 lead, which they carried into the fourth quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, Texas scored a touchdown, 14-7. to Right at the end of the game, Texas scored another touchdown, went for two, and made it and won 15-14. to I was devastated. And to this day, 52 years later, still not over that. To add salt to the wound, President Nixon went down to the Texas Longhorn locker room where they were all celebrating and partying and declared them the national champions on the spot. This was before any of the bowls had been played. So not only did I hate Texas from age one, but now add Nixon to the list. And it was just, yeah. And still not completely over. It's still a little bit bitter. Still Um, hang on to that, huh? But I, yeah, that puppy has grown into a big dog. (laughs) <laughs> Surely your team has beaten Texas over the we, years. Yes, they they've beaten us more than we've beaten them, but okay. those those victories are sweet revenge. I'm they sure. are indeed. Yeah. But talking about something a little more serious, um when I was 4, my mother passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh at age 30, she had been diagnosed with Hodgkin's, which at the time They really didn't have a treatment for that other than just keep her comfortable with morphine and just wait for the inevitable. Now, today, though, that's one of the more treatable forms of cancer that there is. So growing up without a mom, shortly after she passed, my dad remarried a lady who already had four boys. My sister and I made it five and six. And they almost immediately had a baby, number seven. So that first year, they tried to play Brady Bunch and just move us all into a big house. And that really didn't work very well. Where did you fit in age-wise with her four boys? Three of the boys were older than I. And 
one of the boys was maybe about a year younger than I. Okay. And then my sister was the only girl in the house, and she was a couple years younger than I. So, wow. Yeah. So we were six and four at the okay. time. My dad at the time, he saw this wasn't working out, so he sent my sister and I to live with his parents in Arkansas, and they raised us. And wow. looking back on that, I really honor my grandfather for taking in two kids, six and four, when sure. they were in their 50s, you know, looking at retirement in a few years, kind of getting set for the golden years. So here I am at this stage of life. I, I can't imagine taking on two small children, yeah. even if they were my grandchildren. I loved them very much. But that's what they did. So my dad really poured himself into his family, the four, my four stepbrothers and my half-brother, you know, was really kind of absent in my life, So, which makes me even more appreciative of my grandfather and my grandmother as well. But, you know, he was kind of absent in my life, most yeah. of my life. And I've told my daughters, well, Grandpa showed me how not to be a father. Yeah. But my grandfather showed me how to be a father. So Aww. do I have bitterness? Do I harbor any ill will, even though my dad passed away a few years ago? No. Um, really more sympathy for him because he never got to know his two grandchildren, and they're both amazing girls. Right. But it was a choice that he made, right? So sure. it's more on him than it is on me to be... You to know. carry that with you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you, um, when you were younger, did you feel um, sort of that anger at your dad, or when do you feel like you let that go? I think as a small kid, um, I don't know that I ever really harbored any ill will or wished ill will on him or harbored any angst in that. I mean, I, I let love win. You know, I still mm -hmm. loved him. He was my father. Sure. You know, everybody hopefully loves their father. I do remember he would come visit once a year on Thanksgiving and always looked forward to his visit on okay. Thanksgiving. He would come up and take my sister and I out to a little shopping center there. And every year, Santa, the day after Christmas, Santa would arrive in a helicopter and that was cool to see a helicopter dropping, and then Santa would come out and throw candy to all the kids and sure. stuff. So so that was kind of a big deal and a highlight of the year. So, no, I, I really looked forward to seeing him. And even as a young adult, I actually lived in New Orleans, and we shared a place for a few years down there and okay. got to know each other better as adults Um but still, like I said, some of the choices he's made along the way, he has to live with right. more so than I do. I mean, I just kind of, like I said, I let love win. and I think that's so amazing, David. That's so great. It sounds like it was the love of your grandparents that helped you to be like, you know, okay, this is where I am. This is my life, and I have people who love me, and I'm just not going to let whatever happened destroy me in any way. Oh, absolutely. They made me who I am today. I mean, without them, I can't imagine where I'd be or 
what I'd look like or who I'd be with or anything else. Right. Now, I know towards the end of your dad's life, you went and visited him. Yeah, we tried to once. We were in the area. We knew we were going to be traveling down there, and uh, he was at a point where he just didn't want to see us. So Hmm. he said, you know, this is not a good time for me. I think I'll just take a rain check. And I was like, well, Dad, I don't know when I'll be back here again. And uh, he said, yeah, I know, but, you know, maybe maybe the next time you're around. And so I didn't really get to see him at that time. But my dad was a jovial person, too, though, a lot in his life. He he liked to laugh. He liked to make other people laugh. Um, He liked to eat. He liked, (laughs) and so he liked to cook. He was a fantastic cook. Oh, my goodness. Consequently, he was probably 100-plus pounds overweight, Mm -hmm. Um, lived most of his life in the Deep South. And I don't know if you remember the cartoon character Foghorn Leghorn, the big, fat chicken rooster, (laughs) doodah, doodah. That's my dad, pretty much. Is that right? With the southern drawl and, and... Look at me when I'm talking to you, son, and and pay attention, boy. You know, (laughs) I I had that in my life, too. (laughs) Well, it sounds like he was a character, at least. Indeed. It sounds like you're like, that's just my dad, and I took from him the little bit of love he gave me, and I've accepted him for who he was, and I'm just going to go on with my life, and I'll be just fine. That's spot on, Wendy, because I couldn't control it. Right. Right, so I had to, I could control how I react to it. And that's an early lesson that I learned as a child that I've tried to bring forth with me the rest of my life into adulthood. It's like, okay, certain things I can control, certain things I cannot control. And those things I can't control, I control how I respond or how I react, whether I want to just get all bitter and keep that puppy in the box and, right. and bring him out every chance I get, or do I set the bitterness puppy free and let him go on his way, or do I starve the puppy to death in the box? <laughs> or you know, there's there's all kinds of reactions. Well, now that's just getting dark that. there, David. <laughs> Starving the puppy again. <laughs> you know, like I said, just controlling how you react to certain stimuli whether it's how you're treated by your parents, whether it's how you're treated by your boss or coworkers or spouse or kids. You know, a lot of that you can't control how people treat you. Sure. But you can control how you treat others and how you respond to others' treatment to you. That's good. Randy and I have often talked about, like, his grandfather and my great-grandfather, Howard, they both were alcoholics. And that Randy's dad and then my grandfather sort of broke that cycle of alcoholism. And then, you know, we've been very thankful for, for the legacy that they've left. And I feel like you were able to step out of your childhood experiences to become the loving and loyal and dedicated father that you are. Thank you. You know, you just, like I said earlier, you have to let love win. Yeah. And that's really what I'm trying to do here. On let, love let love beat those little puppies out of the box. <laughs> we let those <laughs> let love set those puppies free. <laughs> exactly. Okay, that's a that's a better way of saying it. Let that, them yeah. go on their merry way. <laughs> right. 
This episode of On Carlson Drive was produced for Boogieland Media by Randy and Wendy Bonifield and distributed through our friends at podbean.com. All stories were written, edited, and narrated by Wendy Bonifield. All original music and music arrangements are written and performed by Randy Bonifield. Remember to subscribe, and please like, add, friend, and review this podcast wherever you find us. Follow On Carlson Drive on Facebook and Instagram at username On Carlson Drive. And be sure to visit our website at OnCarlsonDrive.com. Special thanks to all our friends and families who, unbeknownst to them, were writing the stories we tell simply by living them. Join us in two weeks for a new episode. Until then, thank you for listening to On Carlson Drive.